0: Welcome to the Dog Show with Julie Forbes. You're listening to Alternative Talk AM 1150, as always. For the 300th time today, I do that intro. So today is finally the day. We've been talking about it for a while. We had a big party on Saturday night celebrating the 300th episode of the show, which is today. So it's great to be here, as always. And as always, what a nice day to take your dog for a walk. Boy! Boy! overcast. Hey, it's pretty warm out though. It's not that cold. Day before Thanksgiving. I can't even believe it. And what a cool day to have my my 300th episode in the sort of with the sentiment of giving thanks and being grateful and all that good stuff. Boy, am I grateful for 300 wonderful episodes. So, uh, we had a party. Eric was there on Saturday night. We were serving uh Tyotin hard cider among other delicious beverages and everyone loved that.
1: It was a great party by the way. Thank you. Very uh, fun. Except
0: Eric left before I could make a spectacle out of him.
1: <laughs> that's that's usually what I try to do is <laughs> leave a party before yeah. I'm made a spectacle no of. No
0: coincidence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we did a speech, and then we actually turned my
1: spectacle senses are tingling
0: so. <laughs> I must leave <laughs> gotta go <laughs> We turned the natural pet pantry in Kirkland into a dance party later in the you know later in the evening. Uh, it was really fun, so what a fun time, great community, and uh just really grateful. so what I've done for today's show. Is I've we're doing really for the first time, and I really loved doing this, and I actually think that I'll want to do it again because um, it was there's way 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 there's so much content to go through, but I put together a best of for today, um, so I selected six uh, segments of varying degree uh, varying times. Um, from some, most of them, let's see, five of them were interviews. And then the one that I chose was, uh, the show that I did, which was a week and a half after my dog died, um, an important, uh, show just re- me reflecting on, you know, or sharing what I'm going through. And then we had some listeners calling in actually on that show. That was dog show number 31. And here we are at 300. Going um, all the
1: way back to 2009. I know. If you can believe it.
0: I know it. So I'm um, going to um, start off with one of my, this was another early one, number 37, Dr. Michael Fox, which, and this is a show that I have replayed um, during weeks that I've um, wanted to choose a favorite interview. I've replayed it in its entirety. It's that good. But the part that I specifically picked out was the part that um, Dr. Fox is talking about prescription, um, prescription diets for dogs. And, uh and uh, really talking about the institution of veterinary medicine so we're gonna play uh, Dr. Fox's interview and then we'll be back in just a few minutes and I'll introduce the next one so enjoy this compilation of uh, best of's of the dog show with Julie Forbes and here's my interview with Dr. Michael Fox back in 2009
1: but when you go into your local vet hospital especially these franchise ones, they call them McVeterinary Hospitals. Yeah. The first thing you see is the topical flea spot that you've got to put on or the flea pill, Yeah. which is another bugger for jamming the immune system and causing neurological and other problems. Yeah. Then you see this whole aisle is like being in the supermarket. Mm-hmm. Of all these bags and cans mm-hmm. are the regular cat and dog foods, mm-hmm. which the first ingredients are generally chicken meal, whatever that is, and then corn or, and soy byproducts and so on, which is food that is not fit for a dog or a cat. And then on the other side, you see all the very expensive uh, science-based prescription diets, yeah. which are very expensive, mm-hmm. and are given when these animals get sick on their regular food. Right. And uh, as you pointed out before, uh, a lot of these special prescription diets contain the same ingredients that the animals have been eating before and are responsible for their <laughs> nutrition-related health problems. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's a big money wheel. Now, these vets get brainwashed at vet college. Mm-hmm. Uh, nutrition should be one of the major courses in vet school. Mm-hmm. But it's not. Nutrition is the cornerstone in medicine. Hippocrates said, make your food your medicine and your medicine your food. Mm-hmm. But that paradigm, that that worldview is not there. Mm -hmm. Instead, they're given a short course uh, essentially telling them that manufactured pet foods are science based and they provide complete balanced nutrition for the animals' entire lives Mm -hmm. which is a complete myth that our book helps to dispel. Mm -hmm. There are tremendous genetic differences in dogs uh, as to their requirements for example, uh, the Wheaton Terrier, no pun intended, is allergic to wheat and they will have uh, seizures on wheat Mm. and a lot of other dogs will. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some are so sensitive to uh, anatto, which is a a color dye, a a normal vegetable color dye from a lipstick tree. And that's in yellow and orange cheese. One little piece and a sensitive dog will have a seizure. Mm. And, you know, epilepsy is not mentioned in the pet health insurance uh, report. But that, from my column, is one of the major issues. Uh, that These poor dogs finish up on phenobarb or potassium bromide, even though they become zombies for the rest of their life. One, mm-hmm. in fact, a change in diet, like m- my homemade recipe that's on my website, mm-hmm. uh, would, would cure them overnight. Mm-hmm. It, it is absolutely appalling. I'm, I'm completely stunned by the whole yeah. nonsense.
0: Yeah. What is your website?
1: Uh, it's www.com. One word, two bit dog. T W O B I T D O G. Two bit dog dot com slash Dr. Fox. D R F O X. And that was a great
0: clip from all the way back in two thousand nine. It sure was. Yeah. Dr. Michael Fox, friend one, of the show. Yes, one of my favorite guests. Well, he's been on a, a few times over the years, so you can search for him in the archives. Um, which are all on com and also on iTunes. So this next clip is from um, 2009 in September when uh, my first dog as an adult um, passed away. I had to euthanize Chewy, my boy, my first boy. And um, it was a week and a half after he died, and it was the first time that I have had gone through this with my own dog, I had lost, you know, family dogs as a child, but it's different. And I was just, I spent the whole show just talking about what, you know, my experience and what, you know, the the making the decision to put him down and how hard that was. And um, kind of going through some details about that. And then uh, we had some listeners actually call into that show and, and share, which was really wonderful to hear from people who had been there. And, you know, we all, we know, how hard it is, and it's not um, validated as much in society as when we lose a human family member. But people who know, and a lot of people who would listen to this show, know how how brutal it is to to lose a loved pet. So um, you can hear the grief in my voice in this one for sure. But it really brings up some important information, I think, around end of life experiences um, with pets, and uh, you know, to better to best equip everybody to, you know, go through that process as smoothly as possible. So this is from dog show number 31 back in 2009. And um, it is something that is certainly part of the deal of living with a dog or living with a pet, that we often have to make that decision of that we probably wouldn't have to make if dogs lived in nature. Uh, somebody told me, um, you know, something that we forget is that because we bring animals into our houses and live with them in our houses, that we then end up having to often be the ones to have to make that choice of, okay, you know, is it time now to end their life? Because if they um, lived outside in nature, they probably would have been gone much sooner and it just you know nature takes its course and they wouldn't have survived as long as they do living in our houses with us with the you know vet care that we have access to and, and stuff like that so you know it's it's hard it was a really hard part for me of the whole experience uh, you know my discomfort with having to make the decision okay go ahead and end his life when it's the last thing that I wanted to do. But I felt like it was the only thing that I could do to protect him from suffering. Um, You know, I didn't want him. I didn't want to just wait for him to crash and to have to put him down in crisis. Um, You know, I didn't want him to suffer. I didn't want him to die on his own, you know, in a way that was really uncomfortable or scary for him. And, you know, surgery wasn't really a viable option either. I certainly explored that. Um, but with a 12-year-old dog um, and and just the odds that, you know, this was caused by tumors, very, very likely cancerous tumor, very, very likely that it was an aggressive type of cancer that had spread you know, it was like, okay, well, there's maybe a, you know, miraculous chance that he would survive. But the risk was that, you know, they, I go in, put him through surgery, they go in there and open him up and just find tumors everywhere and then have to put him down on the table. And then it was really important for me to, um, be holding him when he left. It was just so important for me you know, that I got to control his last day to have, you know, for him to be happy when he went and to be in my arms was, seemed like the best thing that I could do for him. Um, but man, it's, uh, it's not easy. That's probably the hardest thing that I've had to go through. Uh, one of the hardest things for sure. Uh, we have Heather in Seattle on line one. Hi, Heather. Hi, I just
2: tuned in, so I didn't get to hear a lot of about what you were talking about but I understand you're you just through having to put your dog to sleep yeah yeah and I I've had to do it before um, and um, I'm in a position now where I have a very very old dog yeah. and it's very difficult because I too want to have some control over how how it happens and I, I struggle every day almost with do I do it sooner than later so she's at home and comfortable?
0: Yeah. Um,
2: or do I just kind of let things take its course? But I'm also terrified. I don't want to end up in a emergency situation where it's chaotic and stressful and she's at the vet and that sort of thing. So yeah. I don't know what your experience was, but I know I know how hard it is. I mean, even the last two dogs I've had to put to sleep were – Older, but they were ill, and it was very obvious. Yeah. And with with my dog, it's like she's just old. <laughs> she's just really old. She's sixteen, and mm. she's hanging in there. She loves her walks and loves eating still, but it's still you just. It's yeah. the hardest thing, and I I'm sorry. I know I I know how hard it is. So yeah. Um. But I don't know. All I can say is yeah. I'm sure every dog out, owner out there. Has to go through it, just like you said, and it's so difficult to be, to have to make that choice for another living thing. It's really excruciating.
0: Yeah, it really is, and there's no real real easy way around it. It's like, damned damned if you do and damned if you don't.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, people have different philosophies. I know people that have let their animals just go and let them go and go and go and die on their own, and that's, I've that with other people's pets, and it's, that makes me uncomfortable, yes. but I know, I know how hard it is for people to let go, so, yeah. we just, you got, you know, I'm sure you did the right thing, and that's, you just have to know you do the right thing by your animal, I mean, they know that, so... Yeah. Well, (laughs) yeah,
0: well, thanks for thanks for your call. We're going to send you back to Darcy to get your information. But uh, thanks for sharing your story and for uh, letting me know that, you know, how I feel. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thanks, Heather. Bye. Bye. Yeah. You know, something that I was clear about, um, and it's a really good point that she makes and that I wanted to clarify for people, because sometimes it is more clear than others You know, the dog might just get obviously sick and they're obviously having a hard time. And and sometimes dogs just sort of fade out slowly and it seems like they're still, you know, doing okay, but at the same time not. And that it's basically, you know, in making my decision, you can only do the best that you can. But what I was really clear about was that it wasn't about me, that this decision was all about him And so trying to make my decision based off of his best interest and just being really clear about that and not letting my own needs get in the way when he needs me the most, which was really in his exit. Boy, listening back to that interview, when I was, I listened to it in its entirety when I was selecting a segment and it really brought me back to the experience and I felt, even felt some emotions come up almost, uh, let's see, five plus years afterwards. So really... um really touching to hear that for me and to kind of reconnect me to that experience. And, you know, hopefully if, if anyone's listening who's in that spot now, hopefully that, that helps to at least provide some comfort because a lot of people know what you're going through. So, so let's take a break. And then when we come back, I will introduce the next segment, which will be my interview with uh, Dr. Alexandra Horowitz, who's the author of a book called inside of a dog. Loved talking with her. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to The Dog Show with Julie Forbes.
1: I love my dog as much as I love for you. But for you may say my dog will always come through all he from me is the food to give him strength all he ever needs is love and that he knows he'll get so i love my dog
0: the natural pet pantry is seattle's original source for wholesome dog and cat meals offering eight different protein options Next week on Conversations Live with Vicki St. Clair. Renowned
1: conservationist, author and president of Stanford University's Conservation Biology Department, Dr. Paul R. Ehrlich explores how we can stop the needless loss of species on our watch. His new book, The Annihilation of Nature, Human Extinction of Birds and Mammals. We'll also hear from author and conservation writer Liz Cunningham about the 2015 Paris Climate Summit happening right now. Join us every Monday at noon right here on Alternative Talk 1150 and listen to our Archive shows at conversationslive.net.
3: Wish your dog didn't hate going to the vet? Wish you were welcomed by a team who cared? Jet City Animal Clinic is an enjoyable respite from the same old thing. Dr. Anderson and her team have created a full-service facility that combines veterinary expertise with a comfortable style. Jet City Animal Clinic is located in Seattle's Capitol Hill neighborhood on 12th Avenue across from Seattle U. Bring your crazy questions, odd ideas, and alternative thinking. Jet City Animal Clinic will work with you to keep your furry family members healthy and happy. Traditionally educated with an open mind, Call us at 206 329 or email info at com to make an appointment. Jet City Animal Clinic, a unique approach to the health care of your urban pet. A local family practice. com.
4: Proud to bring variety to your radio dial. Alternative Talk, 1150 a.m
1: water to make me realize that I love my dog as much as I love for you. For you
4: made
0: a fame. My dog will always come through. Welcome back to the dog show with Julie Forbes on our 300th episode today. Uh, I've put together Eric has helped me put together a best of show for you where I've gone through and selected Several of my favorite segments out of many. It was really hard to choose. I'll have to do this again. Um, So we're going to keep going. And uh, next I'm going to play a segment from my interview with Alexander Horowitz, who is the author of a book called Inside of a Dog. Really recommend this book. Really, really interesting. She does wonderful work and was really a joy to talk to. So enjoy my interview. This was Dog Show number 226 my interview with Dr. Alexandra Horowitz. You actually spoke to something that I was planning on asking you anyway. Um, you know, I was kind of thinking to myself as I'm reading your book and getting some insight into what you know and your experience, and uh, I'm curious because of the depth of how you've studied and observed and your education and and all of that because you also talk a lot about pumpernickel and um who has since passed and then finnegan who is your current dog and i'm curious as to what your perspective is or re- your reflection or thoughts on if you have thought that you're because of the extensive extent of the research that you've done is your relationship how has that impacted your relationship with your own dogs and do you imagine how do you imagine it's different from that of the average dog owner
4: i think i have a lot more patience with my dogs actually Mm. than uh i did before and maybe than the average dog owner if maybe i was an average dog owner i was i was I was always interested in and, and sensitive to animals and concerned about their plight, kind of, and mm-hmm. you know, wanting things to go well for them. And that included my own dogs, but I also left my dog all day while I was at work. And at the time, I didn't think about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't think about trying to find an outlet for her in the middle of the day, mm-hmm. um, where now a lot of people do. But uh, at the time, it wasn't that... Oh uh, Quran, and and I just wasn't in my mind, you know. So I there was some leap of thinking, empathizing, kind of that I hadn't gotten to that I now really have, and that means that I am very attentive all the time to their, you know, who they're with, what they want to do, what I'm providing for them, if something is troubling for them, and I don't think it's obsessive at all. It's very easy just yeah. the way you're thinking about another animate thing and you're yeah. in the room with you, you know, yeah. who provides a lot of, um, like, a great relationship for you. And I also am, am, have changed my walks a lot with them. Um, mm. When I lived with Pumpernickel, I would, we really started doing these smell walks, as I described in the book, where uh, she was getting on in years, and so she didn't really want to have as long a walk to begin with, and our, but my idea of the walk was still you go out to get a little exercise or to allow her to relieve herself, etc. And then it changed to just go some follow her nose basically, and and stop when she wanted to stop and dig her nose into something for five minutes,
0: just stop there. <laughs> right, because they will. To <laughs> they when will you, stop for five yes. minutes and just smell and smell and smell. Yeah, right.
4: And with my own do- with my dogs now, I live actually we have two dogs. Um, hmm. Now, the we'll we'll do that too. Not every walk is an exercise walk or just about peeing. It's also to let them smell where what's going on outside. This like this exciting olfactory universe yeah. that they're closed away from. Yeah, some good chunk of the day, and yeah. um, so in every way, I'm just really interested in kind of maximizing the situation for them, and it has almost nothing to do with like products for dogs and right you know, and, and things that humans think are interesting. It's really all from the dog's perspective mm-hmm. and that's been that's been great. So I think that's that people, you know, come to that at different levels. But a lot of people are not really aware of that at all because there's a very exhaustive kind of industry and, and, and world view of looking at the dog as something which has to be trained and in, ver- in you know, just body trained and to sit and then that that's kind of it then they could be left alone they should be able to like fit in the family
0: right they'll be happy
4: they'll be happy our dogs are always happy they're yeah. you know and that's that's kind of consumed our consciousness mm-hmm. and so people have gotten away from that certainly you know yeah. but uh I'm, I'm on the far end of that you know and i'm and i'm sure i have a ways to go I'm, i have met many more things to learn and yeah. my relationships will change with them still i'm sure of
0: it well, it is something that I talk about. I've talked on the show about plenty of times in the past and on a regular basis with my clients because what I'm doing is teaching them how to communicate with their dogs. They have expectations. Oftentimes, I'm working with challenging behaviors and, you know, understanding, well, why is the dog doing it, first of all, and then talking about a solution. But I'd say one of the biggest things and most common things is that people just are not present. I mean, in general, let alone to their dog, because things are so... I mean, everybody, especially in Seattle, is glued to their phone, and you can do five things at once from your phone, and everything is faster, faster, faster. And when you're training or working with a dog or trying to modify a behavior, you got to slow down and just get present. And that alone is a huge shift for people. Like oh, I
4: agree. There's a, it, there's, it's an illusion that dogs are are just simple.